Welcome to another episode of the Proton Pack Podcast. As always, I'm Chris, and with me is the Oswald Cobblepot to my Harvey Dent, Tony. Say hey, Tone. Hello, guys. Welcome. Episode 9. <laughs> uh, we're uh, a week late, and actually uh, sort of the reason that I made the uh, Oswald, or not the uh, Harvey Dent comment is that uh, we were all set up to uh, record last week, and uh, I was hit with a bout of Bell's palsy. So half of my face is completely paralyzed. Um, if I slur a little bit, I apologize. But, uh, you know, either way, just trying to uh, power through get the uh, podcast done, uh, entertain you guys, and uh, hopefully it won't be uh, too distracting for you, at least uh, less distracting than it is for me, um, because I can't close my damn eye. That's crazy. So should I call you Jim Ross on here? <laughs> call me Jim Ross, Dick Clark, Two-Face, doesn't matter. Well, that did not go. Like, that was another failed sound bit. But anyways, let's roll with on the show. <laughs> I just, All right. One of these days, we should, like, pre-do, like, some of this, and I'll have good sound bites set on the fly. They don't work so well. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's all right. That was, that was supposed to be a Jim Ross-like comment or some. Okay, that was a failed bit. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> all right. Uh, as always, we'll start with television. Now, uh, one of the um, things that we reported uh, a few episodes back is uh, the casting of Ruby Rose as Batwoman in the uh, CW Arrowverse. And uh, she's going to make her debut on the uh, Elseworlds crossover uh, in the middle of the season. Uh as of, let's see, yesterday, we got our first look at Ruby Rose as Batwoman in her full outfit. And, uh, you know, I got to say, it looks good. I, it looks spot on, uh, lines right up with the uh, the comic book suit. And, uh, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, introducing her into this cast of characters uh, will only help build what DC has on the television front um, with some great characters and great storytelling. Yeah, she looks awesome as Batwoman. Uh, looking at this, especially for a TV show, I mean, it looks real high production. Um, I love how in the background it's, you know, she's got the Batgirl signal up and everything, and she has the cowl. Looks cool. Looks really cool. In fact, uh, we will put that photo up as we do the podcast. I'll be putting uh, pictures and things up on our uh, Facebook page. So if you want to see that after the podcast is up, then you guys will see what we were talking about during the episode. Exactly. And now uh, with this Elseworlds storyline, it's the first time that Gotham City is going to be introduced into the Arrowverse. So, uh, you know, prior to that, we have Central City, we have Star City, um, you know, all of the different heroes, home bases. And uh, there was never really a mention of Gotham City because uh, they sort of wanted to keep the whole Batman side of things out of it. Um, even though, you know, Ra's uh, uh you know, surfaced in one of the seasons of Arrow. But, uh, you know, it's nice to see that, uh, you know, they're bringing that that world into this Arrowverse, especially with, uh, you know, Fox basically canceling Gotham. And so, um, you know, now we might see a little bit more from that world. Uh, as far as Elseworlds go, uh, every year 
CW does their crossover events. And typically it's over a course of four episodes. You know, one Supergirl, one uh, uh, Flash, one Arrow, and one um, uh, DC's Legends of Tomorrow. This one is going to be actually a three-part series, and they didn't say if it was going to be a specific show that each episode's going to land on, or if it's just going to be sort of a standalone three episodes of a series, um, you know, over three nights. But uh, they will be bringing in uh, not only her character, um, as far as Batwoman goes, uh, they're bringing back Tyler Hutchins, Hutchin, his version of Superman from Supergirl, which I think was fantastic uh, when they debuted him, um, I think it was two seasons ago. Uh, they're going to have a version of Lois Lane, and then they're also going to have Nora Freeze. Uh, Nora Freeze is the wife of Mr. Freeze, and if you know anything about the comic books, you know that she comes down with uh, this ailment that uh, causes uh, Mr. Freeze to uh, try to save her and in turn causes him to become who he is. So uh, it should be interesting. Uh, again, if you haven't really followed the CW shows, you can always sort of step in, get into it, you know, go season back, start watching, and then, uh, you know, move forward from there. Yeah, like we've said on many different episodes, too, it's um, just the way they do their DC shows are fantastic. So it doesn't surprise me with the casting of Ruby Rose and the way she looks. This is it's going to be another hit for them. Yeah, you know, to yeah. tie another another good way to introduce an, uh, another DC character. Yeah, Greg Berlanti has it dialed in. So, uh, yeah, that's it as far as uh, CW news, uh, DC television news. Now, speaking of DC, shifting focus a little bit to um, Neil Gaiman. Uh, Neil Gaiman, for those of you who don't necessarily follow comics, um, probably best known for his series Sandman at uh, DC. Uh, but you'd also recognize a number of the other books that he's written uh, in uh, Coraline. Um, he even helped Alan Moore with the Watchmen series. Um, let's see, God, what else? Oh, Stardust, if you ever saw that movie back in right around 2000. Stardust. <laughs> in any case, uh, so last season on Stars. He had a show called American Gods, which, um, you know, again, it's another service you have to subscribe to and not everybody, um, you know, gets into it. But the show itself is fantastic and uh, basically follows this relationship of uh, a character named Shadow Moon who's sort of being torn in between the old gods and the new gods. And so, you know, the old gods are, you know, uh, just what you think, you know, old gods from mythology, whether it's um, uh, Norse mythology or Christian uh, mythology or, um, heck, there's even a leprechaun character from uh, <laughs> from Ireland. And uh, the new gods who, um, you know, represent people, um, oh, what is it, uh, um, worshipping digital and television and pop culture and all of that. And so you know, there are living versions of each of these old and new gods. And uh, it, it's a great series. It has some awesome visuals. 
And of course, the actors that are in it are fantastic. You've got Ian McShane. Uh, you have, um, uh, uh, oh God, what is, uh, who's Marty McFly's dad? Christoph, um, Oh, uh, Crispin Glover. Crispin Glover. Yeah. Yeah. He's in the show. Oh, um, yeah, there he is. I'm George. <laughs> George McFly. And he plays weird. I mean, so good. And then you've also got Gillian Anderson, who is, uh, you know, Scully from the X, I mean, yeah, Scully from the X Files. Hello, um, Scully. So in any case, uh, season two of American, um, Gods, is slated to come out in 2019. They went through a little bit of a showrunner change, um, where, you know, the first season was, uh, Brian Fuller and Michael Green. Brian Fuller, for those of you who don't know, uh, he did the Hannibal series, um, and now they brought in Jesse Alexander as the showrunner. But, uh, looks like they're basically picking up where they left off of the last season and, uh, it's it's a trippy show. I mean, if you have access to stars or you have access to watch it, um, not a lot of episodes. I want to say like eight episodes in the season and just visually and um, sonically a, a weird and fun show. Well, I, you've got me interested. I've actually never watched the first season, so I'll be checking that out. Um, sounds awesome. I look forward to it. Well, getting into the first one, too, so I can get into this new one. Well, that's the thing. With it coming out in 2019, you still have time to catch up, um, but it, it's well worth it, you know, and especially as we're in sort of this Halloween time, uh, you know, there's some pretty freaky stuff in there that, uh, you know, if you, you want to be a little bit scared, check it out. Perfect. Now, speaking of Neil Gaiman, uh, he has another show. Uh, it's actually going to be a, a six-part limited series that... Uh, if you live in the UK, will air on BBC Two. Of course, most of you don't. So the good news is it'll be on Amazon Prime. And the name of the show is called Good Omens. And uh, Good Omens uh, will star um, Michael Sheen and David Tennant. So two fantastic British actors. And uh, they basically play two characters, uh, Aziraphale, who is a uh, angel, and Crowley, who is a demon. And Mr. Two... Crowley. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, In any case, uh, they play good friends, you know, throughout the ages. And uh, even though, you know, one's an angel, one's a demon. And... Uh, if you get a chance, and we'll post it up on the uh, website, uh, not the website, our Facebook page, uh, check out the trailer. It looks like a fun, funny, Armageddon-based show. And, in fact, the, uh, the uh, synopsis is this. In 2018, when the apocalypse is near and final judgment is set to <clears throat> Sorry, there's that Bell's palsy kicking up. Is set to descend upon humanity... According to the nice and accurate prophecies of Agnes Nutterwich, the world's only complete accurate book of prophecies, the world will end on Saturday. Next Saturday, in fact, just before dinner. So the armies of good and evil are amassing, Atlas is rising, and tempers are flaring. Everything appears to be going according to divine plan. 
except Azraphel, a somewhat fussy angel, and Crowley, a fast-living demon, both of whom have lived amongst Earth's mortals since the beginning, have grown rather fond of the lifestyle, are not actually looking forward to the coming war, and someone seems to have misplaced the Antichrist. So, sort of a fun take on a uh, somber and archaic, not archaic, but uh, anarchistic uh, um, mood, which is right on par for Neil Gaiman. So, uh, yeah, check it out. Uh, did you get a chance to watch the trailer, Tone? Not yet, no. I just saw it right before we went on air. So I have shared it on our Facebook page, which by the time you're listening, it's already on there. So if uh, you happen to stumble along the page before we post it, it's up there. So I'll be watching it as soon as our podcast is done. Yeah, it looks like it'll be a good time. Six-part series, probably an hour episode each. So it'll be a quick watch, but, uh, uh, you know, with Michael Sheen and uh, David Tennant, you can't go wrong. And in oh, fact, uh, John Hamm is David Tennant is fantastic. Yeah. All right, uh, moving on from uh, that side of TV to uh, AMC, um, it was unfortunately reported uh, just a couple days ago that uh, – the actor Scott Wilson, who played Herschel Green on The Walking Dead, uh, passed away from complications of leukemia at 76. Mm-hmm. Um, for my money, the Herschel governor era of Walking Dead episodes was my favorite, probably the most iconic, and uh, he was just an awesome character. He was fantastic. He was, he was an awesome Herschel Green um, when he was introduced in season two and and then right around into season three, was it four when he met his demise or was it was it at the end of three? I want to say it was the end of three. OK, yeah, because, man, the governor just was full blown heel at that time. And oh, man, it was it was crazy. <laughs> and there were a couple times throughout uh, it was season three that. Yeah, we thought we had lost Herschel. You know, he got bit in the leg. They had to basically chop his leg off. And, uh, man, that old guy kept kicking. I do got to say, I got, uh, based on uh, reading, you know, with the on the article that I'll share on our Facebook page, um, he, you know, this season nine, since um, they're bringing back a lot of uh, old characters from the past, you know, that are killed off. So that my guess, it will be time warps, you know, it'll be right. Vintage things. Well, he's, he filmed, um, episodes or he filmed scenes at that'll air at sometime this season for season nine. So they filmed it before he died. So you'll get a chance to see Scott as Herschel one last time in this season of the walking dead. And I'm sure they'll do a, a proper tribute either, either through the talking dead or, you know, a, a nice card at the end of the episode. But, uh, you know, it's, it's sad to see a, a great actor like that go, um, especially from something as horrible as leukemia. Yeah, it's awful. It's, it's very sad too. So rest yeah. in peace, Scott Wilson. You were wonderful. Yeah. All right. Uh, speaking of the walking dead. So the past. <laughs> This past Sunday uh, was the debut of season nine. Um, <laughs> and uh, the the viewership, uh, you know, wasn't quite what they were hoping for. It pulled in its lowest season premiere since season one. What? Now, with that being said, it had 6.08 million viewers. So for pretty much any other show on television, 
Six million viewers is still huge. But compared to like their season eight premiere, which had 11.44, so almost double, um, it, it was a huge drop off. And, uh, you know, nobody really knows what that is. Um, what the reason is behind that is that, you know, because everybody knows that Rick is, you know, soon no longer going to be, uh, a main character, you know, in the show, um, you know, is the, um, the, the hype of the whole um, Negan thing, with that being done, people are sort of just casually stepping back into The Walking Dead because they don't know, you know, who the big bad is. Um, it's tough to say, but, uh, you know, it, it's still a great show. I didn't get a chance to see season nine premiere myself. Um, as soon as I get a chance, I'll sit down and watch it. But, uh, you know, I'm excited to see where they take it. Yeah, I'm the one thing that really bums me out about season nine is you already know that Rick's leaving. I wish they would have not said nothing. I think this show could have had so much more life if you would have just sprung it. Yeah, in, make it a surprise. In, in fact, you know what would have been badass is on last night's episode or Sunday's episode, that's where it, when it aired, if you would have just killed Rick in that episode. But then you just do flashbacks with them throughout, like, how did they get there? Like, maybe start the beginning of the season, like as if it was the end of the season uh-huh. and then, and build up, like get there. And I think they did that a few seasons ago with a different storyline, if I'm not mistaken, like how did they get to that point? But it would have been so much cooler if you're like, Oh wow. Like what the hell just happened? I didn't see that coming. You know, right. oh, well, it, or you do like a game of Thrones, like no, you know, spoiler alert if you haven't watched it, but like the main character, you know, like Ned Stark, they kill him off in the first season. You're like, what the hell? Right. It, it throws you off. And I think the fact that you just go out and announce it and say, yeah, he's he's done. His character's done. It's been a good run. Right. And that's the thing, you know, if they, like you said, they, they held back that announcement of, uh, you know, Rick leaving after the season and then you kill him off right away at the first episode and go back. I think that would have had a bigger impact uh, on everybody. But, uh, you know, unfortunately, it's sort of anticlimactic. And, uh, you know, it's uh, – we'll see where it goes, you know. Yeah, I'll, I'm still going to watch. I'm still a fan. I mean, I've – it's gotten – like most shows, unfortunately, that run so long, you get, like, towards the end, you're like, are you going to do anything else? Like, what are we doing here? <laughs> yeah. Well, and the other thing that I think it sort of suffers from is um, – too many episodes. I think if you cut down the number of episodes, then you start getting rid of the unnecessary stuff in the middle of the season. And, uh, you know, that way each episode is more and more impactful. Oh, absolutely. Like Game of Thrones, they keep it, I think, 12. And even the last season, they split, they knew they had to split two seasons, so it was even less than that. Um, then they're the same length. They're an hour long, and just keep it. The le- less is more. I guess that's the moral of that. So, but uh, I'm excited it's back. I'm, you know, certainly going to continue watching through the season. Hopefully something will happen in there that uh, sort of re-sparks the uh, franchise and, uh, you know, gets it back to the uh, governor early Negan level uh, excitement. Yes! (laughs) Watching Dead! 
All right, so that does it for television. Moving our way over to uh, movies, um, as we do pretty much each uh, episode, we're going to go over the weekend box office. Bro, um, John Beck, movie box office report with Tony <laughs> and Chris. So apparently, this weekend's box office was the largest October opening uh, in history. And so... Obviously, there were a couple of movies that helped bolster that. Uh, number one being Venom. Uh, Venom was highly anticipated. It did a ton of mon- money on its Thursday um, preview night, whatever you want to call it. And then over the weekend, it brought in $80 million, which is huge for an October movie. Yes, we were very huge. Although, A Star is Born, I thought would be number one because it had Rocket Raccoon and Lady Gaga. <laughs> well, <laughs> A Star is Born, uh, I didn't expect it to be number one. I expected it to do really well, which it did. Uh, over the weekend, brought in $41.2 million, which, uh, you know, between a heavily male-centric uh, movie for Venom versus a more female-centric movie in A Star is Born, between the two of them, $120 million in an October um, weekend, uh, that's massive. It's huge. Yeah. I saw both Venom and A Star is Born this weekend. Um, so they're in the, that Star is Born was packed, and so was Venom. So, you know, that's why I was like, wow. Because I, I, I didn't know if people, like, Marvel movies always do good, even though this is just associated with Marvel. It's not Marvel Studios. but right. Um, I expected Venom to do pretty good, but it got really bad reviews, and we'll have our review here in just a little bit. But, uh, you know, good turnout. I'm happy that it did good. I mean, yeah. One of the things, one of the things I had heard about uh, some of the bad press and the bad reviews for Venom was that uh, a number of Lady Gaga fans, her her, uh, little monsters, uh, were going on and giving the bad reviews because they wanted people to obviously go see A Star is Born. And so I don't know how. Is that what they're called, little monsters? Yeah, yeah. Not Fred Fred Savage, little monsters. Oh, uh, okay. No no Howie Mandel? No, no. (laughs) But in any case, if they were actually doing that and going out and giving, you know, bad reviews for Venom, um, it's a weird, weird way to do it. I mean, obviously, the, the two audiences don't really overlap. No. This goes back to, I mean, we're on episode nine. I think we discussed maybe episode two, maybe two or three, where movie movies should really look at their competition and be like, yeah, you know, maybe we're not going to open up against that one. Right. We'll, we'll, we'll go a different route because, you know, I think if you shuffle it, take a weekend where there's not as many big flicks and, you know, you'll draw more and i thought they did well for that i you know 42 million in your first weekend's pretty dang impressive um it's not venom money 80 million that's more impressive i'm still blown away that they're called little monsters yeah <laughs> i will tell you i'm not i'm not going to review um a star is born on this show cuz no one cares about that but uh you do see ladies gagas no so kidding. Quite, quite a bit, yeah. Hmm. You, you even see a full nude scene with her. In, well, you don't see Rocket Raccoon, but you see <laughs> you see her throwing uh, Bradley Cooper out of the bathroom. So, like, interesting. Oh, yeah, I, it wasn't a bad movie. I'm not. I, I wouldn't go see it again. Once was enough. 
Yeah, you know, I, I may, if it comes out on Netflix, flip through it. You know, this is the fourth iteration of that movie, so, uh, you know, the the plot isn't anything new by any means. Um, it's just, you know, it's it probably based mostly on the star power and the fact that this is Lady Gaga's, you know, premier uh, film role. Yeah, well, Bradley Cooper did a fantastic job directing it. I mean, he's got he's definitely got the talent behind it, and his version of it it was it was well done. Good, good. Uh, so yeah, we'll review Venom here in a second. Rounding out the top ten, you have Smallfoot at number three with fourteen point nine million. <clears throat> Night School with uh, um, uh, Kevin Hart. Kevin and Hart your, and your friend Tiffany Hardish. Oh, uh, Tiffany Haddish. God, Haddish, yeah. Haddish, whatever, yep. yeah. I like Kevin yeah. Hart, even though he plays the same character. He's yeah. he's our modern-day Chris Chris Rock or Chris Tucker. I love Chris Kevin Tucker. Hart. Yeah, he's hilarious. <laughs> you know, Central Intelligence was great. I can't stand Tiffany Haddish. Um, I, it's like she overdoes it, overtries on everything that she does, and um, and – it's never anything different. She's the same character person, whether she's doing a um, Groupon commercial or in a movie like this. It's funny. Now her and Melissa McCarthy are both now not friends of our show. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> at number five, you had uh, Eli Roth's uh, The House with the Clock in Its Walls at $7.2 million. Big departure from uh, Hostel, um, much more of a kid-friendly Scary movie. At number six, you had a simple favor with 3.4. At seven, you have the nun with 2.6 mil. Uh, at eight was Hellfest at 2 million. Which, uh, uh, my girlfriend and I were just talking about that sort of concept last night of, uh, you know, these haunted houses that you go to. You know, what if there was really a serial killer in there? Um, looks like it could be an entertaining movie. Probably won't see it in the theaters. I'll just wait till it hits Netflix. Uh, at number nine, hanging in there is Crazy Rich Asians with two million. The movie that never dies. Yep. Ever. At, at number ten, with one million, was The Predator. I can't actually do the Predator noise. Yeah, it's pretty close. So, with all of that being said, uh, you went and saw Venom. Um, I'm dying to get out there and watch it. Um, give us your review tone. Yeah, Venom was uh, good. We don't have Juan this week. I mean, maybe I could dial him up, but uh, last week he what, was he mad two weeks ago at us when he did one. Yeah, yeah, he was very happy. But uh, <laughs> oh, good old Juan. I I might have to call him up, and get his take because he saw it too. Uh, Venom was good, man. I went in with low expectations um, because I know like when the other studios that have Marvel movies, they do a pretty good job, but it ain't up to the Marvel Studios brand. So, uh, you know, the more I saw the previews, I was like, I don't know. I don't know if you could do a whole movie on him. And uh, I was pleasantly surprised. It was funny, had good action. Um, I don't know if it was 100% true to the uh, to the origin or storyline. Best, I mean, they modified a lot of it, but uh, it was very entertaining. I I, I liked it. Nice. And, you know, like we've said in the past, you know, what you go in with your expectations definitely plays on what you come out with. And going in with those low expectations, I'm sure, made it much more enjoyable for you. Um, everything that I've heard from people, um, you know, both uh, interviews and press and, and inter uh, I said interviews already. <laughs> That's the medication for the Bell's palsy kicking in. Um, I appreciate that. 
but a lot of people, you know, associate this movie as a Marvel movie. And so when you separate that idea out that, no, this isn't a Marvel Studios movie, it doesn't play in the same universe currently, cinematically, as Captain America and Iron Man and all of that. This is a standalone Sony movie with Marvel's backing. And, uh, you know, they don't have the same sort of creative um, juices, if you will, um, for this. And so going in with that low expectation, knowing that it's not going to hold up to Infinity War, um, I, I'm sure that certainly helps. Yeah, well, and that's the one of those things. Like, I know Todd McFarlane was the one that introduced Venom and Carnage when yep. he was doing those series. So I'm not, for being a comic book guy, I should be up on all that, but I don't really know the whole origins of Venom. Um, other than I know when they brought him into Spider-Man 3, Topher Grace did, mm, sorry, he did a poopy job. And, yeah. uh, <laughs> it wasn't very good, but the uh, a lot of CG in this flick, uh, but the comedy, man, Tom Hardy was really good, I thought. And I... I was worried that he wasn't going to be that great as Eddie Brock, but he did a fantastic job. Uh, Michelle Williams was his love interest, but, you know, she obviously ends up with another guy at some point. I don't know, obviously, but she ends up with another guy because Eddie's all about his work as a, you know, a beat writer and trying to get the scoop. And uh, they did good by not putting a lot of big star power in there and not focusing on having too many villains. Um mm-hmm. Two Easter eggs at the end of the movie. Um, well, two credits. One of them will tie into maybe a future Venom movie. Uh, the second one is just a full-on five-minute preview of uh, Into the Spider-Verse uh, animated one that's going to come out in December. And so I got to see the first five minutes of it, and it was it, that looks really cool for an animated yep. feature. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that one. Now, it's funny you mentioned with Venom, uh, the comedy. I've heard from other people that that was probably the biggest part that didn't work for Venom. Um, so, you know, obviously have not seen it myself. It'll be interesting to see, um, you know, what your take on the comedy is versus what their take was and, uh, you know, figure out what they hate yeah. about it, what you loved about it. Yeah, I think one of those things where I could sum up where the comedy is, if you like <laughs> pretty much adult humor as far as like, you know, dick and fart jokes and then, then mm. there's then there's funny like one, every once in a while inappropriate humor but if you're just you know he wasn't campy he wasn't being like cheese ball-y but there was definitely some of those uh you know i mentioned adult humor and i find <laughs> i'm childish and i find good laughs in that now do you see this as a great uh, sort of tentpole for the um Spider-Man extended universe at Sony? Do you think they definitely have a good direction that they're headed or that, um, you know, they maybe need to rethink things? No, I think their big problem is, is they have their big franchise in Spider-Man, but the problem is, is partnering up with, uh, Marvel or Disney, you know, in that aspect. Um, and you can't tie it together kind of hurts. I don't, because Venom's the anti-hero. You can't really build a franchise around him, I don't think. Right. You know, because he's a part of this. It's it's kind of, kind of, I'll tie this up as soon as our, our next topic will kind of tie into the way I feel about it. And mm-hmm. it, it just, it's a good way. It's a good standalone movie. I kind of wish we would have gotten a, uh, you know, maybe eventually I'd like to see if you tied in like Spider-Man 
and not recast him. I mean, if you could tie him in with Tom Holland. The Tom Spider- Holland, yeah. Yeah, if you could tie this all in together under the Sony banner, then yeah, you, you've got something. But just going straight, building him as your big franchise, I don't see it lasting long term. But, you know, you might get a sequel or two out of it. Okay. Well, you're, wow. you're definitely, based on based on box office and one of the Easter eggs, I, I mean, I think it's inevitable a sequel will come here in the next few years. Now, um, obviously, we had talked about uh, in previous episodes that they decided to go with a PG-13 take on it versus a rated R. Do you think that helped it, hindered it? Uh, you know, do you think it would have been that much better as an R-rated film? I think, you know... Unfortunately, not having a, you know, full on backstory on him, but knowing Todd McFarlane and being dark and wanting his characters to have a more edgier feel. Um, they did drop one F-bomb because they're allowed to do one in a yep. Fox movie. So they did get that out with Venom. He said the F word. Um, but there, it was, it came down to when the symbiote you know, like when Venom eats people's heads off. I mean, it's supposed to be shocking and vicious, but when he does it, the screen pans away and it's just, you hear the noise. It's kind of like watching Wolverine and the other X-Men movies before Logan. Like Mm -hmm. when he's going to town, going berserker rage, like you hear the sounds, but you don't see it. Right. And and I think sometimes, you know, you don't need to be graphic, but man, if this symbiote's going to freaking eat a head off, you know, you, you kind of want a little movie theater magic, I would think. So, I don't know. I don't know if it hindered it completely, but it would have been nice to to see a little blood here and there. Well, hopefully they continue when they do the home release of the uh, director's um, unrated version, and so that way we can see it the way it was meant to be. Seen. Yeah, because there was one scene where the villain um, he did this uh, kill scene. Like, had they shown it, it, I mean, it would have been a pretty graphic thing, but. It just, like, it did its thing, panned away, and then, you know, it just showed people on the ground when realistically, for that thing he did, I'm not saying what he did because I don't want to spoil for people, mm. but what he did was, you know, I mean, it would have been like, holy crap, but that's not really what played out, and that's okay, that's just nitpicking, but uh, I found it to be really enjoyable, and I would definitely recommend seeing it in theaters. Um, I I liked it. I have no complaints with it. thought it was cool. good. Cool, yeah. I mean, I still plan on seeing it here in the next couple of days um, and go in, you know, with those sort of low expectations and hopefully come out, uh, you know, as satisfied as you were. So um, now one of the things we were talking about is, um, you know, utilizing Venom as this way to spin off other uh, Sony Spider-Man characters in that Sony universe. Uh, one of those, and actually it looks like the next one in the docket, is uh, Morbius the Living Vampire. And uh, producers Avi Arad and uh, Matt Tolmack had recently come out and said that uh, that movie, starring Jared Leto, uh, is set to begin filming in early 2019, basically February. Um, and we've talked about it in this podcast before that, uh, you know, the death of Spider-Man characters that people are familiar with is very shallow. Uh, Morbius being probably one of the better known ones, but to the average person, if you told them Morbius the Living Vampire, they'd stare at you with some blank look and have no idea. So uh, Sony has a huge uphill battle that they have to fight uh, to try and get this, you know, 
Spider-Man cinematic universe off the ground. Yeah, I don't know. This, this was what I was going to go into since we're getting, since we're now on this topic. There's just, just no introduction. It's just like, to me, this, like, Fox is, even though Fox is about to be absorbed by Disney, um, it kind of just feels like they're doing a quick grab, kind of like DC does with their characters. Like, oh, we're just going to, we're just going to make this character's movie. Okay. Well, that's, that's the thing, you know, even with the Venom movie, if they knew they were going to make this Morbius movie, why don't they put a Morbius Easter egg in there? Why don't they give you a, a, a quick shot of Jared Leto as Morbius to sort of build that excitement? And I don't know if they did that or not. I assume that they probably didn't. But, uh, you know, if you're trying to interweave all of these characters and stories into a single universe, that's the way you do it, like Marvel did with Nick Fury at the end of uh, Iron Man. Yeah, there's just there's just no build up to these characters, and I can tell you, and and I can happily spoil this for you. The Easter egg I'm talking about at the end of uh, Venom, the 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 only one that really matters, um, has nothing to do with this character, not at all. Doesn't set it up for it or nothing. It's just another character in the Spider Verse, I guess. Yeah, so just a wasted opportunity. It's yeah. funny, in the um, interview with uh, Avi Arad and uh, Matt Tolmack, uh, they sort of went back to the discussion about uh, making this movie R-rated. And uh, their response was actually kind of funny. <laughs> he says, uh, I don't think there's uh, a rule written somewhere in stone that all of them have to be one thing. We have all seen, as you've said, the R-rated versions of these superhero movies now working. So that's out there. You can succeed to a staggering degree. So they're basically teasing that it could potentially be an R-rated movie, but that's what they did with Venom, and then they pulled it at the last minute. And, you know, either set your sights on something, you know, make it an R-rated, and that's that's the goal because the story needs to be R-rated, or just from the get-go say, no, you know, it's, it's going to be a little bit more general for the general audience, and it's going to be PG-13 like Venom was. Yeah, I, I this is just one Marvel movie I don't have any interest in. That just doesn't sound great, and no offense to Jared Leto fans out there, but I thought he was a crappy-ass Joker. Oh, I think he was the so, worst Joker. Like, could he pull off a vampire? Probably. But if we're going to do a vampire Marvel movie, I want to see a reboot of Blade. Do that I instead. I actually heard that they're looking at uh, bringing him back. I'd take that. Maybe I'd take him battling Morbius. I know they're not in the same comic book realm, but... Actually, they are. Are they? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, they... Um, there was a series of comics where they were known as... Um, oh, God, was it? It was like the dark side or the dark, I don't remember exactly the name, but it was uh, Blade, it was Morbius, it was a couple other characters that, you know, have sort of this horror genre uh, behind them. And uh, they did a, a whole series with them. See, now that would be cool. If you could tie it together where he's, you know, Jared Leto's battling like Wesley Snipes or if you want to recast it with somebody else, I think that would be cool. I'd be all right with that, but just... A standalone Morbius movie doesn't do nothing for me. Well, and the other thing is, um, I, I have no idea what studio owns Blade at this point. 
Uh, it was New Line, but I think, well, I can Google that while we're sitting here talking. I mean, that's... <laughs> I started as you did. Um, so, on May 2013, Feige confirmed in an interview that Ghostwriter and Punisher rights had reverted to Marvel from Sony and Lionsgate, respectively, as well as reaffirming the acquisition of the Blade rights. Um, it was later revealed in 2013. So Marvel owns Blade again. Perfect. So, so why not do it? And you could still partner with, you know, with Sony Pictures there. And uh, I think, and I apologize earlier, I think I said Fox, like Fox Films. I meant Sony Films no. <laughs> with Spider-Man because I, I forget, you know. They at least played nice so that way Spider-Man can still be in both. But um, it would be nice uh, if they if they played nice and they could kind of tie something together. That'd be kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. So... I, I guess we'll find out, you know, hopefully there's more buzz that comes out as, you know, production gets underway and we get a look at uh, the character and what they do with it. But my hopes are not high for, um, you know, a successful Spider-Man type universe unless no. they bring Spider-Man back into the fold. That's the only way you could make it work, in my opinion, because yep. he's the key one. He's the one that's going to tie He's going to make people want to watch it. You know. Exactly. Exactly. All right, so uh, moving away from Marvel and the horror genre there, um, the next bit of news is that uh, 11 hours ago, so sometime in the middle of the night, the trailer for the Pet Cemetery remake dropped. And uh, again, Tone, I don't know if you had a chance to watch it. It looks good. I really like the way that... Uh, they're basically doing new takes on some of these old Stephen King uh, stories, and uh, this one is no exception. Yeah, no, I did watch this one today, and it was a pleasant surprise, because yesterday when I was digging up stuff uh, for us to talk about on this week's episode, I had kind of gone through, and I was like, all right, well, you know, I wonder what uh, is out there, you know, that's new. And I saw production stills from Pet Cemetery, and I was like, oh, Maybe we'll discuss that, but then when I saw the trailer today, I was like, "Oh, forget it. We're, this is this is what's worth talking about." Oh and, yeah, uh, you know, and that's the thing. You know, we had it chapter one that came out last year, which was sort of the catalyst for this new set of Stephen King films. Uh, this year, we're going to get uh, you know this upcoming year, uh, it chapter two. Uh, there's Dr. Sleep that they're working on, which is the follow-up to The Shining. But, uh, you know, for the longest time, Stephen King movies were, you know, uh, basically made for television, somewhat cheesy. They had definite confines in what they could show and what they could do. But uh, it looks like there's, you know, a whole group of people who are really taking – this material seriously and trying to make good quality uh, Stephen King movies again. Yeah, well, man, and, and this trailer, I mean, they even got uh, little Gage. Um, he he looks pretty similar to the one that was in the one that we grew up watching. Right. And, you know, I'm, I'm excited for it. And it, Jason Clark looks great in the yeah, role. John Lithgow. Oh, yeah. It, it just all looks good. I can't wait for it. So I'm going to put that trailer up on our uh, on our page so you can watch it. And uh, let us know what you think. You know, chime in on the comments. You know, um, do you like where things are headed with the Stephen King properties? I mean, 
But these continue to be hits. Like, I mean, it was fantastic. Can't wait to see the second one. Um, I think uh, Pet Cemetery is going to be incredibly good. Because um, to me, that that was one of those movies that creeped me out as a kid. For whatever reason, that that was one of those really scary movies. Yeah, I don't know and, what it was. It creeped me out as a kid. And that's the thing. Late 70s, early 80s have some great Stephen King movies. And then at some point, they were just pushed off to made for TV. And it didn't... Or crappy sequels. Sorry, the Edward Furlong Pet Cemetery 2. That was lame. Yeah, that was pretty bad. So in any case, it looks like uh, they're coming back with a vengeance. And uh, hopefully, they continue to be as good as uh, it was. Could you imagine Maximum Overdrive? That would be interesting in this day and age, because it was pretty cheesy when we watched it. Yeah, it was. It was bad. Emilio Estevez <laughs> in a reboot of reboots. Maximum Overdrive 2020. <laughs> With the green goblin face on the uh, track. Ah, the semi's alive. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So we'll post that up on the social media. Check it out. Let us know what you think. Uh, staying in the horror genre, um, but comics as well. Uh, it's no secret that there is a new Hellboy that's coming out. It's a departure from the two previous Guillermo del Toro movies, um, and we get uh, David Harbour playing the character of Hellboy. Uh, I don't know, Tone, if you saw the picture of him, like the actual picture uh, with the full horns, but he looks like a badass Hellboy. Yeah, he looks good. If somebody was going to replace Ron Perlman, David Harbour is definitely, after seeing him all dressed up in it, is absolutely the guy. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, Hellboy creator Mike Mignola um, basically said that this take on Hellboy is going to be a darker, more horror-driven version. Uh, he said that they went back and forth on trying to figure out, okay, is this going to be a continuation of the Guillermo del Toro stories that he had set up or a brand new uh, sort of reboot from the new director, Neil Marshall. And they decided to just start over. Um, you know, Neil is a horror director through and through. And so he definitely wants to make this a darker tone. And they were saying that, uh, you know, they loved Guillermo del Toro's version, but it was a more fanciful version of Hellboy, whereas this uh, has that that much darker tone to it. And so, uh, you know, knowing the type of actor that David Harbour is, um, you know, what uh, Neil Marshall can bring to it, and then obviously having the backing of Mike McNola, um, the creator of Hellboy, uh, should be an interesting movie. I think it's going to be great. Um, I, liked, I liked Hellboy 1 and 2, The Golden Army. I thought they were great movies um, before the comic book boom. Um and of course, Ron Perlman was an excellent, excellent uh, Hellboy. And I, I like this new take. They said they're going with more scary. They don't. They're definitely going for a whole new, fresh look on it. And I sometimes other people's visions and different takes on things is uh, neat. But the promo picture alone on it's, uh, it's creepy, man. It looks like it's gonna be pretty dang good. Yeah, yeah, you know, and like you said, you know, I enjoyed the the Guillermo del Toro Hellboy movies, but they were. They were a little more fun, a little bit more campy. Heck, I mean, my boys who are six and nine have even seen uh, Hellboy 1, and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't anything that was scary to them. Uh, whereas this one, I, I probably wouldn't show them just based on what I know about uh, this film so far. <laughs> right, right. 
But yeah. uh, let's see. Is it, that is it movie say, is, is it coming out in uh, 2019? Yeah, yeah April 12th. 2019's already shaping up to be good. Ooh, Mila Jovovich is in there. Very nice. He is. And Daniel Day Kim as well. He's a good actor. Oh, Daniel Day Kim. <laughs> he was, uh, he was, uh, he was in, uh, Lost in uh, Hawaii 5 Yep, yep. Yeah, so, uh, very... that movie drops April 12th, 2019. So we don't have to wait too long before we, uh, start seeing at least some trailers for it. Can't wait. It may surprise us like Pet Cemetery. Did not expect to see that today. Right, right. All right, uh, moving away from Dark Horse Comics into DC Comics. Over, let's see, five days ago, uh, DC dropped a extended trailer for Aquaman. It's a five-minute trailer. Um, you get to see him for the first time in the traditional sort of gold and green suit. Um, I like gold. <laughs> now, going through and watching this trailer, I know you haven't watched it yet, Tone. It makes me a little more excited for it, but it's, I still have some huge reservations. Um, you know, we were talking about the comedy of Venom not quite playing. Um, you'll see when you watch this that they try for some comedy, and to me it just doesn't land. It, it's... You know, it doesn't feel as organic as like the Marvel movie comedy. Um, has some great special effects, uh, has a little bit of an Indiana Jones type feel to it. And I don't know if they continue that through the entire movie, but, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm still, still reserved on, uh, you know, how I think this is going to play out and if it'll help save the, uh, DC extended universe. Yeah, the jury's still out on that, man. I, I'm hoping it's good. You always want, uh, you know, we're big fans of the comic books and I know we rag, but more so me than you on DC movies. Um, they just, they just, it's been a big cluster. Like they should take cues of what they do well in the TV series. The TV series are done quite well. Um, and I'll watch this trailer. I'll put it up on our page. I haven't watched it yet, but, uh, I did just see one. I don't know if it's the same exact one that I'm about to watch, but I did see one at, during Venom, and I felt like during that trailer that I watched, there was some campiness that I was like, eh. There was like these, he was trying to have these really cool one-liners, and I'm like, yeah, eh, eh, I don't know, like, redheads, gotta love them. All right. Yeah, it, it seems know. a little forced. Yeah. And he doesn't seem quite the comedian actor, but we'll see. Jury's out. I'll see it for sure. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, let us know what you guys think. Are you super excited for it? Is it just Jason Momoa that gets you excited? Or if oh, you, he gets like, me so excited. <laughs> you know, or are you a, a true fan of the comic book films? And, you know, do you think that this has some sort of ground to stand on? We shall see. We'll put it up. We shall Tra see. Trailer will be up there. Yeah. So while I don't see Jason Momoa or his Aquaman quite as the savior of the DC Extended Universe, this next guy just might be. And uh, this would be, if you want to cue up the, the song tone, uh, the next episode of As the Nerd World Turns. As the Nerd World Turns, drop us know what's happening today. And the nerd world turns. 
<laughs> I don't think that was the same one, but we'll go it probably that. wasn't. But oh well. Yeah. So uh, a day ago, it was reported that um, James Gunn, who, as everybody at this point knows, was fired from Marvel and Disney, uh, director of the uh, Guardians of the Galaxy series, um, writer as well. Uh, he has actually swapped over to uh, what some would consider the dark side, I guess in other cases the light side, and has now been hired as the writer of Suicide Squad 2 for DC. Um, you know, Previously to that, we had David Ayer's version of Suicide Squad. It was a fun enough movie, but it, it wasn't great by any means. It was just sort of a, a mashup of anti-heroes and, you know, Couple Batman cameos and and just loud explosions and and CG effects and all that. You know, it in its own right, it wasn't a, a fantastic movie. Now the sequel has a chance to be just that, and uh, they mentioned that he may uh, direct it as well. Oh, smart move by DC. It was stupid for uh, you know Disney and MCU to let him go. They should have at least let him finish Guardians 3. We discussed that many times. Um, but, yeah, he'll be going to this project, which I think is an excellent move. And, and you're right. I think this is a guy that could really help out the DC franchise. I know it didn't really work for um, – oh, who came over from the Avengers? Um, Joss Whedon. Joss Whedon, yeah. Yeah, because he came over and tried to fix Zack Snyder after his family's issue. Um, and that didn't help much, but um, – you know, it's always when you have these big Marvel guys come over that know, they, I mean, they got a good vision. But if he's directing and writing and Dave Bautista, a.k.a. Drax the Destroyer, wants to come over and, and take any role he can, I think it's going to be good, man. Even if you even if you just kind of milk it and borrow a little bit from Guardians just a smidge, I think it'll work for him. Yeah. Different well, characters, but you could take a little of that magic and apply it. And that's exactly it. He was able to take no-name characters with the Guardians of the Galaxy and make them, you know, superstar characters that everybody's now heard of. Um, one of the things when he was at Marvel was he was tapped to take over the cosmic universe of Marvel. And so whereas Kevin Feige would, uh, you know, be with the, the base Marvel universe, James Gunn was going to oversee that cosmic universe. If DC plays their cards right and they get James Gunn into it, I think he could be the turning point for what DC needs to right the ship. Absolutely. I think it's a great hire by DC. One of the best best news I can say a long time about DC movies because it's a train wreck. But this was a good move, and I think you go forward from here, it's, it's, it's going to be awesome having him in, and I'm excited to see what he does with that. And uh, my only my only thing is, is I hope he recasts the Joker. If you're going to put the Joker in the next Suicide Squad, please don't let it be Jared Leto. I agree wholeheartedly. And I, <laughs> yeah, just just don't just don't want that. <laughs> so uh, as a fanboy, exactly. So that's exciting news. Obviously, as we learn more about that, we'll keep you guys updated. Now, speaking about uh, DC and Marvel, and uh, one thing that we don't talk a lot about on this podcast about or is, or can't even put my words in the correct order. In any case, uh, we don't talk a lot about podcasts. We are a podcast. We don't talk about podcasts that much. Um, the reason, pack podcast. <laughs> the reason podcast. I bring that up is I stumbled upon a podcast that on the outside, 
outside sounds boring. Uh, it's called Business Wars, and uh, it's on the Wondery network of uh, podcasts, but you can get it on um, Apple iTunes. And uh, each series is six episodes. Each episode is about 30 minutes long, and um, they talk about these businesses and how they play against each other. And it's a little bit of like a radio type feel, but the topics are fantastic. So um, they have one series in there, which is DC versus Marvel. And they talk about the beginning of both companies, um, what happened as they were coming up and, and the corporate espionage that happened uh, between the two companies and people jumping ship and, uh, you know, back and forth and stealing ideas and, and, you know, basically from the beginning to where they're at now with the different movies. And then they talk about, you know, who won war and, uh, just a great series, uh, for DC versus Marvel. Uh, the one I started out with was Netflix versus Blockbuster. Um, again, just a fascinating look into how Blockbuster basically died off and Netflix came and took over. And then the other one that was fantastic was uh, Nintendo versus Sony and uh, talking about uh, how they were actually partnered up at one point to release the uh, Sony PlayStation with Nintendo so that it played both um, CD-ROM based games and Nintendo cartridges and what happened there and, uh, you know, over the years, them going back and forth as far as, uh, you know, who's superior in the video game marketplace. So if you get a chance, check it out. Like I said, it's called Business Wars and, uh, it's, it's really insightful if you love sort of the history of these pop culture things. Yeah, it was, um, what I was going to say with that, I, that sounds awesome. I was going to say with the Nintendo one, I totally remember uh, when they were trying to de develop that for the Super Nintendo. It was kind of like an add-on to compete with the Sega CD back then. So sounds like an entertaining podcast, and with me uh, carpooling up north more often, I'll have to uh, take advantage of that myself. Yeah, definitely check it out. And, you know, going back to the Marvel versus DC thing, uh, you know, we had talked about in earlier podcasts how a lot of the characters were very similar and shared, and this gives you a better insight into why that was the case. Ooh, sounds entertaining. Yeah, yeah. Just really another cool. one for you guys. Yeah. Throwing some love. So, uh, you know, finally moving on to our last topic of the podcast and uh, ties in pretty well with the uh, Sony versus uh, Nintendo um, uh, battle. Uh, Nintendo, uh, with their Nintendo Switch Online, has Nintendo, released... it's a breakfast, wow! <laughs> uh, has released a bunch of classic NES games. And uh, one of the things that they just r released or talked about... Um, Boy, my brain is just trailing off at this point. In any case, uh, is a special remixed version of The Legend of Zelda called The Legend of Zelda SP. And uh, what this does, and it's basically a hacked ROM version of the game from Nintendo that uh, starts you out with every item in the game and 255 rupees. Rupees? So, yeah, so you start the game with the white sword, the magic shield, uh, the blue ring, the power bracelet, and, um, you know, you can go to any of the different dungeons. Um, they don't have to be in a specific order. 
Um, and then, you know, if you've ever played the game, Ganon is still hard as hell to beat. So it's, uh, you know, it allows you to get into the game a little bit quicker, but at the same time, uh, might up to that fun factor. Because with the standard one, you start out with nothing. No sword, yeah. no rupees, and uh, it takes some time to build all that up. Yeah, absolutely, and what a nice surprise, and I haven't got a chance to download that or or try it, but uh, definitely I'll have to let you guys know how that is uh, on the next episode. Yeah, and you know, Legend of Zelda, whether you play this uh, SP version or the original, it holds up. It's a fun game. It will occupy hours of your time. Um, it, it's a classic, you know, just as much as the Super Nintendo version. Um, I, I enjoy this one just as much. Yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to yell right in the middle of it. <laughs> so let, let's just get weird there. But, uh, yeah, man, I can't wait to try that. Um, I was reading, too. There's, I also didn't get a chance to play uh, Mario Party just came out for the Switch. So next uh, next episode, I'll have a review on Super Mario Party. I'll review that uh, The Legend of Zelda. And I think Call of Duty Black Ops 4 comes out this week, so we'll have a review of that. We'll keep them real short and simple, nothing super long or anything like that. Yeah. And so, you know, the nice thing is this was a little bit shorter uh, of a uh, podcast episode. Certainly helps out with uh, my face as tired as it is. But, uh, yeah, we got a lot of good information in there. And, uh, you know, we'll come back next week with uh, some more bits of news for you guys. And we do have breaking news that will drop. It's fresh, and you may not have even seen it yet. Probably not. Disney and Fox deal will be ready to close at the first of the year. January 1st, 2019, nice. it's official. So there you That's go. Good. That's breaking news. Breaking news. All right, so as always, follow us on Facebook. That's facebook.com forward slash Proton Pack Podcast. Uh, on Instagram, at Proton Pack Podcast. Give us some feedback. Let us know what you think. Um, and then, uh, yeah, stay tuned for next week, and uh, hopefully I'll be uh, a little less uh, bubbly-mouthed uh, at that point. We are bubbly Mouth and Venom. Watch the Proton Pack Podcast or listen. Or don't. I'm hungry. I'm gonna eat your face now. <laughs>